always is challenging, right? Like, it uh, doesn't need to be a certified product, but even like uh, whatever product, you, you always deal with uh, different stuff, uh, challenging stuff, right? So on that note, uh, can you share with us uh, what has been like your most challenging product so far? If you can mention one in terms of mechanical elements or electrical elements, something that you can find that, okay, well, this is a, this was a really good example on what things I need to know moving forward, right? I think that every project has a certain challenges. I wouldn't say that there was a particular project specifically that I would consider to be the most challenging project. I find that the most challenging part of our our job is not so much the technical. It's more about the the simple balance of the owners with high expectations but limited budgets, the sub-trades that have uh, either limited labor or limited materials available to them or timeframes. I find that the balance between uh, limited timeframes it changes for every project. And so it makes every project a certain amount of, uh, of challenging. And, but every time that we do a, a challenging project, we seem to get better at it. We seem to get better at finding that balance. I find that all too often when we see mechanical designs that they assume limitless timeframes, they assume limitless budgets, uh, they assume limitless patience of the, the sub-trades and general contractors. And so the more that we understand, the more that we learn from our sub-trades, the better that we, that we become at finding that balance. And, and so it, it intrinsically means that our projects, even complex projects, become uh, more manageable, less challenging, even though the relative complexity is going higher and higher. Right. So... Yeah, basically that was a trigger. Uh, my next question, and maybe you you already responded that, but uh, yeah, how do you overcome the situation? So you're saying, uh, well, you you are doing something beforehand, which is educating people, right? But uh, what what you can define as how you can overcome the challenging situation? Yeah, and and again, it's mostly about identifying and managing expectations, and so. If I know that there are certain expectations that are not going to get met, it's important for us to get on record and make sure that everybody understands that it's, it's not something that we like to leave to chance. And so when we identify that uh, perhaps budget is too small, perhaps the time frame is, is too short, uh, or perhaps the just due to availability, and especially this is, this is a problem that we're running into recently here with COVID is the availability of certain products uh, in reasonable timeframes is just getting unreasonable. And so what could be expected before is not necessarily what can be expected today. So it's important to us. And, and uh, we ran into this a little bit on the Scott Subaru project there where we understood that the building was going to be a very high performing building, but uh, as was mentioned in the previous podcast there, the majority of the usage, like the, the utility usage and the, the energy usage in that building is now less to do with the building itself and more to do with the actual ongoing operations. And so even in a high performing building, there's still going to be things like computers. There's still going to be lights. There's still going to be, uh, especially in a, in an auto dealership, there's going to be shop equipment and air compressors and, and, car washes and things like that. Uh, and so 
if the expectation was that the utility bills were going to go away, that would be an unreasonable expectation, right? And so um, some of the tension that we had on that project there was simply managing those expectations and just making sure that everybody understood that even in a high-performing building, there were still going to be expenses and there were still going to be uh, costs associated with utilities. And uh, considering that being that we we used a more expensive heat source, so namely the, the our, our heat was being generated through our electrical service rather than our natural gas service. The Even in a high-performing building, uh, any kind of electrical load tends to be a little on the expensive side. And so we were just worried. We were, we were simply worried that, that there was expectations of extremely low or almost non-existent utility bills. But in reality, I think that there was, there was still going to be some. Now, I'm not sure how that eventually played out. And I'm sure that we were probably uh, a bit more alarmist than we needed to be. But it was important to us that, that we manage those expectations. Correct, correct. So now that we're going back into trade with, uh, with this uh, super project, what, what was your, the, the aftertaste after all that uh, madness in trying to kind of figure out how make that building work? So what, what, uh, what is your input on that one? I think we found a reasonable balance. And at the end of the day, we're happy that the building is performing. Uh, we're happy that the building is comfortable. Uh, there was different expectations for what some of the consultants were thinking for the size of the equipment and uh, how often it would need to run and that kind of thing. And so we did take a lot of their advice into account and we did, um, I wouldn't say that we compromised our design, but, but we, we looked very heavily at our design. We, we stopped using any kind of like rules of thumb. Like we went right back to our fundamental principles on that project. And I think we came up with a, with a reasonable balance there. And so I'm glad that the, that the, the building is performing, uh, but getting to there was challenging um, just because of, again, availability of, of components, availability of knowledge, um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the other part, like, uh, well, you were touching on that, that one uh, briefly, saying that uh, just uh, put the awareness or, or false expectations, right? So I always find that uh, we always are pretty worried about the, the capital investment, right? But uh, once that everything goes to real life once the, the building is commissioned right after that like the life cycle of the actual equipment or the actual maintain, maintenance costs right uh, do you provide any sort of uh, additional information on your uh, trying to educate the, the public in general so trying to say for example uh, okay you're going to get this well, maybe we're being so biased to the mechanical equipment, but uh, that's the only example that I can bring on, on my mind right now. But for example, uh, I, I know that some of uh, these uh, high efficiency um, type of uh, mechanical components needs uh, a pretty rigorous uh, maintenance program where you have to kind of just exchange filters every so and so. And those filters, yeah, I can't remember the other time I was talking with George and my my boss and he was saying, yeah, the, those filters are not the one that you can get in Home Depot or, or, or whatever, right? So that's a pretty high, uh, high end uh, type of filter. So do you have like a little bit of, uh, of, um, information to provide to everybody in order to kind of just 
understand that process as well or how, how that works with you guys? Yeah, and the truth is, is that uh, we're living in a much better age for that kind of knowledge and the availability of even specialty equipment is a lot more common now uh, where I'm not sure about the, the details of this, but I feel as though anytime that I order something directly from China, say through Alibaba or AliExpress, that that would have been, that would have been unheard of five or even 10 years ago. And so even if you, even if it's, even specialty equipment is somewhat readily available, um, the other thing that's readily available is the knowledge of the people that, that service this equipment. It used to be that the, the local technician with years and years of experience would be the only one that would know the ins and outs of how to maintain and, and keep this equipment running. But now that there's uh, a lot more open knowledge and, and simply you, you've got, the world of information at your fingertips through any number of different sources on the internet that even local technicians can, can benefit from the knowledge of, of a globe worth of equipment. And because even in the context of the Subaru passive house there, these are not, we, we haven't custom built any of that equipment. I mean, the, all that equipment is still off the shelf. It's in use somewhere in the world. And so if somewhere somebody knows how to fix it, maintain it, and get parts for it, then that information is theoretically available even to the local people here now. And so I think that the the availability of parts and replacement parts and knowledge of, of how to maintain this stuff used to be a problem. And this used to be a problem, uh, problem as recently as, say, five years ago. I, I, I think that it's less of a problem now than it used to be. Correct. And that uh, is making total sense, right? Like the way how everything is in, in, in the in the website and you can just find um, different methods and, or different process how to, to maintain things. Uh, yeah, you, you're right. This is at hand right now. So that's uh, that makes totally sense. So um, this is more like a personal question. So how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things within your industry? So what is, uh, I understand that uh, these type of audios are uh, listened by uh, a lot of new generations that, that they are trying to kind of just open their ways on, on the future and, and this type of industry, which is architectural or engineer uh, dedicated to uh, new construction or renovations. Can you share that uh, with us? So on a day-to-day basis, we get constant feedback, especially from the subtrades that, that we that we uh, deal with on a constant basis. Um, they tell us, uh, they give us good feedback about availability of things, cost of things, uh, how best to use them. Um, even certain manufacturing techniques, like if a particular vendor has changed a particular project or product and it made it worse to use or more difficult or more expensive or anything, we usually get that feedback right away because we have a very good open line of communication with uh, the people that actually have to interact with these products and knowing the product is and uh, knowing what the products are and how to use them forms the basis for a, a good chunk of what we do on a daily basis. But on a more fundamental, like philosophical base, the admission of your own ignorance is key and so if you could admit to yourself that you don't know everything if you if you can admit to yourself that there's things that you can learn um and also things that you can learn from unsuspecting sources so uh old school people new school people uh 
tradespeople's, uh, even uh, any kind of vendor or anything like that. Like, and so, if you can, if you can admit to yourself that there's people out there that know more about what you're doing than you do, then you're going to be a lot more open to a lot more open to understanding their information, like gaining and understanding their information that they have to offer. And so, it's it's only when you start thinking that you're that you're smart. It's only when you start thinking that that you're better than what you really are is when you stop learning. Right, right. And and now that you're uh, talking that about that note of, of being philosophical, um, I have another question for you. Then is uh, what could be one thing that you wish had known when you began your career? You can share that with us as well. It was interesting to me when I first started my career at how little of my formal education that I use on a, that I would use on a daily basis. Now it's not to say that the education that I received was of no value. It's just that the practical application of what I learned in school was a lot less pronounced than what I thought it was going to be. And, um, I wouldn't be able to do the job that I'm doing right now without the formal education, but it's more because it, it gives me a fundamental, uh, deep understanding of the, of the fundamental principles rather than the practical skills to actually do the job. And so uh, if I was going to give advice to anybody, especially uh, new university graduates, it's uh, emphasize things like the soft skills, emphasize the ability to learn rather than the, the, formal subjects if you're going like if a student is going to take classes they should take classes uh because it enhances their their fundamental understanding not because they think that uh it would be a skill that a potential employer will look for um the other thing that i was surprised by too is every employer of newly graduated engineers recognizes this this shortfall like this major discrepancy between what you learn in school and what you learn on the job and so every employer that employs new graduates understands that the new graduate is going to start from absolute scratch and there's very little in the school that, that are actually going to help them on a day-to-day -day basis but having that fundamental understanding of first principles and engineering um, knowledge from school only helps to um, that potential employer from to, to learn faster and uh, truly understand the nature of their work. And then the, the actual day-to-day -day stuff tends to follow shortly after. Well, that's a, uh, that's a pretty, pretty good talk because uh, yeah, lately I've uh, trying to kind of read a lot of books about business and economics. Right. And uh, it was like this specific, I cannot remember the name of the book. Maybe I can share that later on, but, uh, Totally, totally is related with what just uh, you you said, right? There was a, a little bit of uh, statistics about uh, the life uh, span of uh, an actual corporation, and I think like the average is around fifteen to twenty years. But it was uh, one specific uh, corporation in the states, I guess, uh, that they were talking that uh, that corporation last for 70 years, nothing, nothing as before. And it was like uh, uh, some kind of characteristics about uh, what they did in order to kind of just achieve that uh, long uh, period of time to, to this uh, corporation to be alive type of thing. And 
it was several several items, but the first one is uh yeah, they were learning faster and they was uh they they were trying to kind of be trying to adapt on the current circumstances, right? So I think that is a pretty good point that you're touching there because that that's uh, the truth of the matter, right? If you go back to the basics and just trying to kind of uh, learn to learn, I think that is the uh, a big item to to consider, right? So well, especially in the corporate world, right? Uh, complacency is rampant. Correct. Where the failure to stay current is kind of the downfall of. The corporations, but if the corporation could simply just admit to themselves that maybe the way that we've been doing business for the last 70 years doesn't work in today's context, then all of a sudden they're open. If they're if, if that corporation is open to these new ideas, then they can easily adapt. But if if they can't admit that to themselves, if they can't admit their own ignorance, then you see the ultimate failure. Correct. Oh man, so. Yeah, uh, no, that's great. That's great. I think we I have uh, some other questions here, but uh, yeah, we we have a, a crunching time. I have just a one last question. So um, thank you for for your participation on on all this. Uh, I, I I think your responses are pretty pretty good on every topic topic that we uh, touch base today. But uh, yeah, my last question is just more related to how can we connect with. Uh, you or your company? So usually the, the first interaction uh, with my company from the general public is usually the website, which is just www.908eng.com. Uh, Carlos mentioned our philosophy. It's right there on the front page. Uh, we also have a number of other technical documents that uh, if you happen to be in our field that you might find helpful. Uh, but otherwise, though, uh, first point of contact would be through our website. Awesome. No, thank you for that. And uh, for sure, we're going to uh, put some links on the description of this podcast so you can just uh, have uh, direct access to the to the website. And uh, no, thank you, Craig, for your time. Thank you for uh, being available to, to this uh, interview. Uh, thank you for sharing all your knowledge, all your background with uh, all the people that are listening right now. And yeah, hopefully we can just uh, sit down and maybe we can just touch base with the, the specific topic. I think this was uh, basically a, a salad of uh, a lot of different um, subjects. But uh, yeah, of course, maybe we can uh, have you in the future and trying to kind of just talk about the very specific uh, item. So thank you for your time. And hopefully we can uh, yeah work together in the in the project soon. Great. No, thank you for that. Okay, good. And please don't forget to leave me a review on whichever platform that you're using to listen in this podcast, either good or bad. Remember, Mexican can have thicker skin. You will hurt my feelings, that's for sure. And better yet, if it has some good criticism so I can learn from it and improve it, that will be even greater. I understand this hasn't been perfect, but it can be better every time. I recognize your time is valuable and would like you to enjoy this moment with me as well. Also, if you like what you get from this audio, I will recommend you to be the first to share this info with your friends, so maybe they can get something valuable from it as well. Thanks for listening, and let's meet again soon.